We all have dreams. Some people seem to live theirs while others seem to struggle. This is, however, merely a perception. What if you could get the answers you needed to execute on your dreams? Welcome to the Platinum Mask Podcast, a show designed to ask various young professionals just how they deal with their specific ups and downs. How does one young upstart navigate competing with name brand companies? Where do we get the best tools? How do we grow from our stress and anxiety? Most importantly, how do we properly utilize our cash flow? The Platinum Mask Podcast with your host, Grayson Mask. We wanted answers, so we're going out to get them and sharing them with you. Let's get right into today's episode. Hello, everyone, checking out the Deep Planet Mask podcast. I am Grayson Mask. I have with me Dee Powell, who is a local urban planner as well as a place curator. And she actually has kind of an organization that does place curating and kind of urban planning. And I really wanted to have her on the podcast just to talk about this subject. I haven't had anyone like on the podcast to be able to talk about something like that. And I was very curious on just kind of the ins and outs of getting that type of degree and, you know, what type of uh, career opportunities it opens up. So, yeah, thank you again, Dee, for being able to come on and uh, honestly just kind of explain your journey and kind of what brought you here. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate your reaching out. Um, So I started, I went to grad school after I got my bachelor's in interdisciplinary studies so didn't have like an undergrad in urban planning didn't even really know what it was when I graduated with my undergrad Um, it was just something that one of my teachers kind of spoke about a little bit kind of mentioned it Uh, it's kind of it was engulfed in like a social social sciences class that we had Um, so I just really just I tell people all the time I just bought like the urban planning for dummies (laughs) book from Barnes and Nobles um, and some of the elements of it, I was already interested in. I just didn't know it had like a name or a profession or a career. Um, and kind of took the chance, uh, applied to UTA since I had just graduated, um, and got in and kind of like went full fledged into it. So I was in the college of architecture, public administration, planning and public administration, um, and at the same time, I was working for one of the rec centers in Arlington. So a lot of my my papers, my experiences, our dialogue conversations was around what I saw every day at my job. So in a way, I guess I kind of had like a cheat code um, because my the rec center that I worked at um, is was Hugh Smith is now the East um, was con- was this melting pot of like diversity, different backgrounds, and how. Um, this idea of like community, community places, rec centers acted as like a hub for a lot of things, gathering, being people that read at church, after school care, camp. Um, so I was always into the idea of, excuse me, like how places impact the community and especially uh, communities of color. I just didn't really know like what that, what that would equate to as like a career. Well, you kind of mentioned like uh, not originally getting like your bachelor's in that subject. When you like go into like the, I guess, like that master's program at UTA is like urban, is that type of master's program do like a lot of different types of majors go towards it? Or do people like normally start with like an urban planning bachelor's? Um, So up until I want to say 2020 or 2021, 
there were no schools in the, like the DFW, the Metroplex, that offered an undergrad in urban planning per se, or that was like accredited. Um, but UNT, University of North Texas, North Texas, now offers one. It's like urban planning and urban studies. Um, so for the, most of my classmates and friends that I've you know made from grad school, a lot of us didn't come into it with urban planning backgrounds. I did have a friend who had his bachelor's in architecture, um, a few people interior design, but for the most part, we were, we all came from completely different disciplines. So I had a classmate um, who is also my friend. She was political science. So she was really into like environmental justice, a friend that came from anthropology, <laughs> um, a little bit of everything. So at least for UTA, we had a hodgepodge of people that had um, come from different bachelor backgrounds. And then some people who had went the, uh, like the public administration route and ended up dovetailing into like planning opposed to public admin. And going into that, do you have to like decide on what route you want to take right away? Um, uh, you're kind of mentioning like there's architecture, like urban planning and like is interior design in that kind of college as well? Interior, de- interior design and landscape architecture are in the college of, is, is in Kappa. So the College of Architecture, Planning, and Public Administration, and Public Affairs. Um, but there is a master's program direct strictly for or geared towards, it's called community, it's community and regional planning. Um, so within that, you do, I guess, have to pick like a, a focus subject, um, whether that's like transportation, community development, housing, and then you kind of add these sub-interests, which would basically be like your electives. So you have to have a I won't even say have to you have an idea of what you think you want to study but at the time the elective the electives and the the pool of like what you could add on to it wasn't as vast as it is now um so any other electives um you had to go outside of like kappa so geography for gis something like maybe business or real estate was outside of kappa's bandwidth um sometimes even like the social, like social sciences, the study of, like I did an African-American class that was outside of Kappa, but was tied to like the community development work that was my like focus or my major type of deal. And you, did you know early on on like, uh, I guess like uh, you're kind of mentioning like there wasn't a large pool of classes. Did you know like early on, on like what route you want to take? Because I remember seeing something that, you were originally thinking of like landscape architecture and then like you didn't want to go down that route? Yeah. So originally I was, I wanted to be like a parks planner um, when I started the, like the urban planning master's program at UTA. So I thought that encapsulated being out and about being out in the field. Um, Then learning like after my first two semesters in the grad school program, that was, actually geared more towards like urban designers and landscape architects. But I will say like when I decided to go back, um, I did have a a fairly good idea of like what I wanted to do and what I wanted to accomplish. So I knew it was going to be community development. I just didn't know like what the, like the fine tuning of that was going to be. And when you're kind of uh, eventually decide on like that type of work you want to go into, uh, and you, you kind of mentioned like before that before the masters, you're kind of getting a lot of the work experience outside of that. So were you like actually were you physically moving from like all these different areas or were you able to do like the type of work remotely? Um, so before I started grad school, 
I was already at the rec center. So that was in Arlington. So I was living in Arlington at the time. So I didn't have to do a whole lot as far as like moving around. Um, Midway through my grad school program and working at the rec, I was an intern at the city of Benbrook. So I was doing both. Like this was like towards the end when I was getting ready to graduate from grad school. So I was just driving to Benbrook from Arlington, which isn't as far as it sounds. Um, And then as I transitioned, so I started, I actually got my first job at the city of Lancaster um, in July after I graduated in the spring of 2018. So I was still living in Arlington, just commuting to each one of those cities. And when you're kind of saying like that first role being in Lancaster, um, I guess like getting out of the master's program was like your first role, um, I guess like within urban planning, was it what you envisioned like when you're in the classroom? (laughs) Not at all. It was completely like day and night. Um, It was, it wasn't that the work was hard or challenging. I was the first person in that position. So I was a planning tech, which like, if you look at like a, I guess like an org chart, it's like intern planning tech, planner one, planner two, so on and so forth. So really the like support role to the planner and the senior planner. Uh, There's only three of us at the time when I started City of Lancaster. Um, We didn't delve a whole, whole lot into like actual public sector, like day-to-day planning in my grad program. We talked about it from like a, a, a macro level of working on these illustrious plans, but not on like a, what are you going to do every day? So the first two or three months, uh, I was, I was pretty beat down. Like I was, I think I was, I was overwhelmed and I was, my anxiety was starting to like really creep out as far as there was no clear structure for what needed to be done. Like I knew how to read a zone ordinance, but I didn't know how to read it like that. I didn't understand how to, you know, look at it within like a five or 10 minute time frame of when a citizen comes and asks a question. And uh, because Lancaster's a mid-sized city, you know, you, you wear different hats. So I was like learning planning, also learning permits, also learning a whole bunch of other stuff. So it was beneficial like in the long run, but at the time it was like, I came out of grad school completely blindsided by like what everyday public sector planning was like. And then in that tech role, you're kind of saying like people will come up to you and you're not able to do it like uh, kind of fast enough for the person asking. Do, does like a wide variety of people like in Lancaster come for like, I guess, ordinance questions or is it like a select few and, you know, that regularly come? Um, so when I start, for the most part, people don't know that they it's planning when they come to ask about it. So the way that I started to interact and engage with people was, was I think the first one was a, a house plan for a new house that was being built. And that was like a setback. So for the most part, they were you know, dealing with the building department or building inspector, building official. They only came to me when they were like, okay, well, what, how many feet do I need to be set back to, you know, from the other house? So most people didn't come to me like outright. They were, usually like sent to me of, Hey, you need to get this checked by planning first. And that kind of dovetailed into um, more work on like the commercial side. So like working with people uh, with when they wanted to buy property. So I would be like an afterthought, they would buy property and immediately come in like wanting to get permits. And that's when they would get rerouted to planning 
And that's, you know, where the zoning conversation comes in and what they actually can and may not be able to do or cannot do. Um, so at the beginning, it was kind of, it was, it was a select few, but like after my first three or four months, it was like, I won't say everyday people, but it was people that would just be like, hey, I'm trying to buy this. Can I or can, can I do X, Y, and Z? So it became more more common for people to just call or just come by. And with that being like the most common, like what's, I guess like what's the easiest um, or like most complicated when it comes to like uh, zoning ordinance? I mean, it seemed like um, like zoning ordinance was a huge part of the role is is like um, is like commercial buildings or like residential buildings are those like more complicated when it comes to like like how quick it is to give them zoning ordinance? Um. So after after I got into the swing of it, um, like learning, actually taking the time to learn not like the full ordinance cover to cover, but understanding okay, these are the big things that people talk about, like ask about after the first couple of weeks of me doing it. Most people are asking about setbacks for houses, um, and then it gradually grew into commercial questions of hey, I want to lease this space or I want to buy this building. Can I do X, Y, and Z? So for commercial. It can be it can be super quick as like, hey, it's in this zoning. No, you can't. Or it can be more complex of, hey, it's in this zoning and you may be able to do it, but it's going to take ABC. And for a residential side, it's sometimes a lot quicker of, hey, this is I'm looking at buying this property to build a house. Can I or can't I? Yes or no. Um, and then even that to decrease like people's coming back and forth and confusing, you know, confusion about it. It's, uh, you know, they ask if they would ask about, can they build a house? It'd be like, yeah, it's in this zoning district. I'm going to go ahead and give you the information. So you already know like what to anticipate before you go like purchase the property of how wide it is, how long it is. Um, so I guess when it came down to it, either one of them could be pretty quick. It just depends on, it would depend on like where the property was. Like if it was like a, an odd shaped property, so it would have to take a little bit more work or if it was a property that maybe had a building or had a home and had kind of been like red tagged or hadn't been there in a while and they didn't have water and sewer. So that's a little bit more complicated. That goes even out of my bandwidth of, you know, like, what do you need to do? And then with commercial of, hey, I want to open a, a restaurant. And sometimes that can be as simple as, oh, OK, yes or no. And then also, well, are you going to have alcohol? If so, are you meeting? Do you are you far enough away from like a school or a church, and you know, seating? So it can be as complex, or it can be as simple. Um, the main part for me, after I started like becoming like that main point of contact, was how do you explain it to people in a simple way without overwhelming them with all the information. And going um, and kind of explaining that process. Uh, you know, I was kind of wondering on, like, with that role, you're supporting, like, the Planner 1 and Planner 2. We, like, originally in the graduate program, you're kind of explaining that, you know, you can kind of choose the routes in urban planning, like, whether you want to go transportation or housing. Is it is there, like, different urban planners, like, the team you're working on, was that, like, a specific niche when it came to urban planning? And, like, were there other offices? Or do you guys just do, like, all types of urban planning within the Lancaster area. Got you. So when I was in Lancaster, it was, it was one, it was just one planning office or planning 
division rather the three of us um and then like a director of development services which entails like planning building inspections engineering water co-compliance or co-enforcement um so i haven't been in a city well that's not true grand prairie was getting to that point of like you have long-range planners you have housing planners you may have people who fit into that role in like the housing department, but also like in Lancaster, they we didn't have a housing department. So we didn't really have housing planners and we had transportation, but it was more so handled by like the engineers um, or at the like the county level. So there are, there are people, there are cities and there are like private organizations that they have a department for like transportation and housing and they have planners underneath each of those. I think the city of Fort Worth does that so same with the city of Dallas, but in Lancaster, it was just like everybody did a little bit of something, whether that was site plan review, having to look at permits, having to look at certificate of occupancy for commercial buildings, parking lots. Everybody kind of did a little bit of everything. You mentioned the engineers like um, for transportation or you might find them working uh, elsewhere. I mean, I was kind of wondering on like the hierarchy of things. Uh, like in your type of profession, do you like work with architects and engineers regularly? And then like, I, I guess what is, uh, I guess urban planners, what do they technically, I guess, report to? Um. So in the two cities that I've, sorry, in the three cities that I've worked in, we haven't had an architect on staff. So any interaction I have with an architect is usually um, like a consultant. So they're working on behalf of somebody else. So it's usually like a, on a review basis. Like they'll submit plans for their client. I'll review them, send them back with comments. Uh, when it comes to engineers, we do, we work more closely with them because we usually have engineers in-house at most cities. Most cities at least have two engineers. Um, some have more depending on like their capacity and the size of the city. So you do work with them pretty closely when it comes down to, you know, doing your site plan review. There are obviously questions that planners can't answer, but having some common knowledge of it made my job easier and made connecting with the engineer easier. Um, and then I also, you know, interacted with engineers from outside firms that would ask questions about zoning, floodplain, and, you know, and answer that as best as you can. So for us, we typically, in the, in the city that I've worked in, the organization, the structure has been planners report to, we usually have a director, director of planning. So we report to them. Uh, and then depending on the size of the city, like when I was in Grand Prairie, the engineers reported to the director of public works because they all they have, they have engineers that work on some planning projects, but also they work on bigger things like capital projects, capital improvement, uh, high street projects, that kind of thing. So they do have a different uh, like hierarchy of who they report to type of structure. And I remembered seeing, um, like, with your work at City of Lancaster, um, that you're kind of doing stuff, I think, like, specifically with the community market and, like, other events happening um, within that town. Was that, like, when you, I, I guess, your first uh, work with, like, I guess, like, community events? Or were you kind of, like, did you always have, like, a passion for that type of work? Um, that was my first time, like, really running it on my own. I'd been involved in it as like a volunteer or a support um, just as a city employee, but also like a citizen. Um, but the, the Lancaster market was my first time like building it 
from start to finish, like me being the point of contact, me being the, the primary go-to person. Um, so yeah, that was my first time, like really leading a charge on something like that. And uh, kind of like when I was scrolling by your LinkedIn, I kind of saw like some of the time frames. Uh, did like the COVID pandemic, did that hit like when you were there or was that like one of your roles afterwards? Um, I left Lancaster literally right before the pandemic. I left in December of 2019. So the market ended October of 2019. Um, so, and then I left in December and then the pandemic happened. So when the pandemic was happening, I was it in a like a planning role at all um well the beginning part of the pandemic i started working in grand prairie in september of 2020 so i literally left right before like everything kind of hit the fan and i know kind of uh i mean even kind of uh the later part of the pandemic i mean it's still i mean i can imagine it was still definitely crazy to be in that type of role was that sure did it like impact like what you're able to do as like an urban planner as far as um, I guess not being able to do events or did it change like the day to day? So as far as doing the community, like the, the activations, it did change. It changed it in the sense of they were they were actually like state mandated restrictions around it. Um, but it required us to be more creative of how we reached people. As far as like in the office, like day to day planning, when I was I was at the city of Grand Prairie, we were still kind of like flex, so we were a hybrid in the sense that not a lot of people were in the office, and it was you know very very limited foot traction as far as like having meetings with people, being in the same room with a lot of people. So it it changed the dynamic of how we engage with people because it almost forced people to like call or email. But as the city got a little bit less strict on those, you know, masking or having X amount of people in the building, um, it kind of went back to normal, but it did help like maintain the day-to-day people coming in, questions, that kind of thing, because people, half of the people were still on the fence about it. And the other half were um, like consultants or architects and engineers. So they were all remote. So they were, they weren't coming in at all. They were just emailing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, uh, kind of around that time, uh, I was very curious on like what led to the inspiration um, with your, if you want to kind of talk about like your organization, um, you know, uh, that, for sure. you know, does kind of urban planning. I was kind of curious on like what led to like the original inspiration behind that. Yeah. So I actually had been thinking on not even the organization part of it, but just like the, uh, the blog aspect of it um i'll probably show my age a little bit but like one zango was really cool um so i wanted to create something like that before the pandemic happened that was geared around some of my own personal experiences like transitioning from grad school to a real job and planning and also transitioning from uh, a professional role as a black planner like a young black planner like city of lancaster predominantly african-american hispanic city manager was is black city manager most of the people in our office were black but there there was still an age gap like i was the youngest second youngest person in my office so coming out of graduate school in 2018 when everybody else that came out maybe 10 years prior or 20 years prior so i wanted to create this like online present of like a blog space of just writing about that and that was my whole thing and as I started getting into that, 
um, when the pandemic happened, it was like, well, what would this look like if it actually did stuff? I was always into the idea of like curating places and things like that. Um, and I knew that was something that would be hard for me to do in a city because it is hard. Some cities just don't see that. They see that as like, excuse me, downtown development or economic development or something you just kind of do on the five chance instead of like dedicating time, energy and money to it. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to change that narrative of thinking about those things at the forefront rather than at the late, at the latter end of a project and transforming like my, my experiences of when I remember when I was <laughs> the, the point person for zoning questions and I didn't know what those people were asking me. I didn't know how to answer. And I didn't realize that sometimes that was like a do or die for them, a do or die like answer of yes, I, yes, you can, or no, you can't because they were spending money on property. You know what I mean? Um, so I wanted to create this space now a business or a firm that made zoning and land use easy, made it under understandable, take the complexities out of it because I saw that firsthand in Lancaster of a lot of people don't know what it is they're buying or what it is they're doing. They're just buying stuff or they're getting it, you know, generational property, air property, whatever the case may be. And I saw a lot of that gap and early on into my time there, it was, it was, it was low key stressing me out because I felt like I was like the middleman of, well, I had heard it from so-and-so so-and-so told me that this was okay. So having to change like an entire narrative of, okay, this is how we can make this work for both of us. Um, so yeah, looking at it from that standpoint, November of 2020, I finally like took that step and went through the whole LLC process. It used to be called Black Spaces. Um, and then there is a Black Space org that is a nonprofit that functions. So to deter, to defer from, you know, confusion and trademark and naming issues is when I changed it to do right by the streets, um, which had kind of already been a tagline with black spaces. So it wasn't too much of a change. Um, and I kept the, I haven't written on the blog in a long time, but it started out as the blog space. So I kept that as part of the, the firm because I wanted people to see that I'm competent of like the actual zoning work, but I'm not, it's not remiss of the day-to-day struggles of like being the only black person in your office or being the only person under 40 or having ideas and kind of being like left hanging in a crowd, but behind closed doors, they were really supportive. So I really wanted to curate this space of you can be a planner that's actually making impact. And you can also be able to like express some of those sometimes grievances, sometimes wins, sometimes accomplishments. And times that you, you know, may have had to leave a job because it was just too much. So it really went from like a passion project to a full grown business. <laughs> and uh, it'll be three years in November, I guess, this year. And on the topic of like making an impact, um, you've mentioned like some of the services that you offer, but so what's been like a successful event that's been like attached to the organization? I think I've seen uh, like a couple of uh, different flyers related to it, but like what's been like, I guess the thing you're most proud of? Um, I guess the claim to fame would be the Sunny Seven Dollars Food Park, um, formerly known as the MLK Food Park. And that really for me, to get to the next level of, okay, the activation of the place curation is really something that not a lot of people are doing like this. Not a lot of people are going into it with the idea of helping a community keep it, make it permanent and sustainable and an actual community resource. So that would definitely be my 
my claim to fame and what really sparked a light bulb of maybe this needs its own, it needs its own service category. It needs its own like set of operations or standard operating procedures of this is how we were, this is how it would happen if another community or, or city reached out and wanted to do something similar. And what made you kind of decide on like the area that you did that event in? Was there, were you kind of looking at like different areas or, you know, what made you choose that? Um, I like to think that it chose me. I was, I was asked to be a, a sub consultant on the original MLK food park, um, in April of 2021. So that was the big, the bigger one that was like 30 days. Um, I was a subcontract sub consultant to better block. Um, they're a placemaking nonprofit out of Oak Cliff. And I just came on in the capacity of how do we reach, how do we reach vendors and how do we kind of help curate them in a space? And it just kind of took off from there. So I wouldn't even say that when they reached out to me, it was simply a ship of containers, challenging policy, figuring out how to like reframe and rewrite zoning codes where it allows these types of things by right. Um, and now we're just kind of running full speed with it. So I didn't look for South Dallas, but I'm glad that I ended up landing in South Dallas the way that I did. No. So, yeah, I was very curious on, you know, when they kind of originally bring you out and they're struggling on kind of getting vendors and you're able to do that was like, I guess, bringing out an audience for the event. Like, was that there any difficulty behind that? Um, Originally, I guess for, from my standpoint, yes, because I was more focused on getting it with the audience that we were particularly serving. So like 75210 and 75215. Um, so getting the vendors, but also getting like the community to like, trust in it and give it a chance and believe in it and even like care to like check it out. So at the beginning, I would say the audience part was more challenging just because you you had to reach you had to reach people in a way that they actually would care to like come out and then also care to like support their neighbors or somebody they knew or another big thing that was happening in South Dallas. So a lot of people associated it with the fair because of how long it ran and the type of the way that it was promoted to them or mentioned to them. So there was a lot of additional trust building that had to go into like actually getting them to come out at the beginning. <laughs> And I mean, so far, like with that event, um, I mean, I guess becoming like a reoccurring thing, is there any like future goals attached to it or anything that you're wanting to try different in the future when it comes to um, like how it's put together? Um, so we are, you probably see me, if you, I don't post it as much on my, like on my personal one as I do on the food parks page, but on the road to finding a permanent home in South Dallas. So that is finding a permanent property, whether it's vacant or has a building attached to it, that we have an address basically that somebody could type in a Google and pull up to. Um, so that is our long-term goal of finding a property, being able to operate the food park on a more regular basis, um, as well as start to really deep dive into this idea of business incubation and economic mobility in South Dallas of there's not a lot of businesses. There's not a lot of mix of uses and business types. We want to start that, that not only that conversation, but that space of businesses can be in South Dallas and they can be successful and it can, you know, add to the community impact and to allow, until what a lot of other organizations are already doing. I'm um, just looking at it from a different focal point. You mentioned like that there's not like a lot of mixed use when it comes to 
like that area. Is there, I guess, reasons for that? Or is there reasons why there sometimes isn't a lot of mixed use? Um, so for South Dallas, they are in a pl- plan development, which is a type of zoning that you kind of like compromise. A developer will compromise with the city of, hey, we want to do this. You don't currently allow it, but you do allow some of the things. How can we meet in the middle, basically? And that is, I think, I don't even want to say the name. Where I want to say it's PD. Actually, I'm going to look it up so I don't say it wrong. But basically, that is what's been dictating the type of uses that are allowed in South Dallas for the last, I want to say, since 1991 or 1992. So as you can tell, a lot has changed in that time frame. Um, that plan is about as old as I am. So a lot has changed and a lot has come and gone in South Dallas, but the zoning hasn't. And that's been a huge impact on attracting new businesses, even sometimes attracting new housing, just for the fact that the the PD is so outdated. Um, so that's what is makes it harder to have a more mix of uses um, in the sense that the zoning doesn't allow for it. And when people do get through the process, they're kind of like, they either don't last very long or they take their business elsewhere when a better opportunity presents itself or a better location. And the perceived notion of like, self-dollars being dangerous, there's no money to be made, uh, all of those things, in addition to the zoning being so restrictive, um, has definitely put a, Pose the barrier to the different types of uses. I want to say it's PD one ninety five. And you, uh, yeah, I was going to ask, like, so you mentioned with uh, the type of planning that kind of brings business in. I was kind of wondering, like, I remember seeing on your website, like, with a blog on you, you kind of mentioned like some of the planning that allows for like gentrification and uh, you know people to be priced out of their area. And I was kind of wondering, like. Is there a way to, I guess, like balance, like bringing new business in, but like still have the current residents there or is that type of stuff like inevitable or, you know, is there any way to, I guess, kind of like balance that? Um, we, so the, my day job, there was a firm that used the term, and I think other people have used it called gentrification, which is mixing the old with the new. So I do 100% believe that there's a way to bring in new businesses, new opportunity, new housing, new spaces without displacing people that are currently there. Um, But a lot of that does lie in the zoning and the policy. And then the other half of that, not unfortunately, but just people may not want to hear is property owners. If property owners choose to sell to the highest bidder or build a use or build something that isn't extremely beneficial unfortunately you can't stop them especially if they own it um so it's a 50 50 split of it takes good policy but it also just takes good development so i definitely when we talk about gentrification and keeping people in place a big a big notion and intention of mine behind drbts and the embedding zoning and land use into the food park and other spaces like it is to show that um Black and other communities of color, they want to have places to walk to. They want the walkability. They want to be able to do all the buzzword things that other, you know, urbanist communities are being touted for. They usually don't get the option to stay. And before, they were. They were already, like, resilient communities, self-contained, and they were doing all these things without having to move. 
unless they chose. Of course, there are some other factors as far as, you know, schools, the quality of schools, but data shows, policy shows, and even like the way people have changed over time shows that schools get better when there's more opportunity, there's more housing, there's an enhanced quality of life. Schools typically get better in that area. So I definitely think there's a, a way to do both. Um, I've seen some some good examples. I've seen some not good ex- good examples. Um, and some of that, I think, even I've had to learn is some of it is out of my control. Like I can't go to every property owner and tell them exact, like tell them what they should build. But having something in place to hopefully encourage it and show like, hey, we made it work and you can too, if you're willing to take that risk the same way you would take the risk in North Dallas or Bellum or Plano, Frisco, McKinney. All of it is a risk, you know? It's just the reward benefits so much more in communities like South Dallas, if that makes sense. And has there, you're kind of mentioning like with walkability being so important within like those communities, has there been any, I guess, like strides towards that, like when it comes to policy or planning um, towards more walkability? Um, You know, I can imagine like, I mean, I would assume most residents in Dallas would want some type of more efficient walking paths or something like that. Um, Has there been any process? Um, so right now there is a, a total revamp of the that PD that I was mentioning earlier, the South Dallas Fair Park Area Plan. So the City of Dallas uh, Planning Division, Planning and Urban Design Division, are currently working on like, okay, this is where it is outdated. This is where it's missing the mark. This is where it's kind of like holding this community back because it doesn't allow for a lot. In that plan, it is identifying, okay, there are the great parks here. There's great opportunity for trails. How do we make sure that they can actually connect? Like it just doesn't, you know, it's a walking trail or a bike trail or pedestrian trail that doesn't lead anywhere. That defeats the purpose of walkability. That defeats the purpose of being able to do it if it's just going to only walk them around their, you know, their their neighborhood. If it doesn't, if it can't take them to a grocer or the bank or the store or whatever. So there, there is conversation um, and there is intention in that plan and that revamp of rethinking walkability and what that looks like now in South Dallas, um, especially with um, MLK being basically the one of the main feeder roads through the community. And that's like a, a two lane, usually high volume of traffic road. So it's definitely in the work. So it's nice to see that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it actually comes out as far as the execution. For sure. Well, to kind of like wrap everything up, I honestly just wanted to ask if, uh, you know, there was anything on your end that you're, you know, definitely motive, motivated for or excited about um, with any of your projects, like, you know, for the re- remainder of this year? Um, so Food Park's last date is next month in July, on July 30th. So excited to, not for the Food Park to end, but to be able to take like a break and kind of regroup accelerate the winds and really kind of head down finding property and really being able to build out this business incubator that we're looking at, um, as well as this idea of a co-op grocer and what community equity building really looks like. Um, And looking like other projects similar to the food park, maybe not as big of a scale, but um, being able to start to have those conversations with communities of I tell people all the time, it doesn't have to be geared around food. That just happened to be what was working or what was 
what was needed in South Dallas. It may just be geared around like activating space and activating abandoned buildings or abandoned lots. So nothing quite set in stone yet, but excited about the conversations that are coming and you know, looking forward to see how they like pan out for the rest of the year. No, that sounds awesome. I mean, really wanted to be able to thank you again, Dee. Uh, honestly, like you being able to come on here and not just kind of talk about like your organization and your role within the urban planning field, uh, but just kind of talking about your background, um, you know, in college with your work experience and uh, everything that kind of led you on this journey and led you into these roles. Uh, you know, kind of what you said, like uh, kind of earlier in the episode about really just kind of the importance of not just policy, but planning and how it can lead to healthy communities. Um, you know, that's more walkable, more economic options, uh, more jobs. And uh, no, it sounds like it can be extremely important to just a thriving community. So I uh, really sure. wanted to thank you again for that. Yeah, most definitely. I really appreciate you having me. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Platinum Mask Podcast. Stay connected with us directly through the PlatinumMask.com. You can also join the discussion on Instagram at GrayMask12. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through maskgrayson at gmail.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Don't forget to like and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, raise a glass to success, no matter how you define it.